Hi, I'm Blake Repine and welcome to Strategy, Leadership and Impact. Hi everybody, welcome back to another episode of Strategy, Leadership and Impact. Hope you've been well since the last time you had a listen. A lot of things have been going on lately. I'm actually heading into a, a very busy time where I'll actually, I think, be away seven out of the next eight weekends. Uh, various things coming up. One of the things is my youth and masters weightlifters that I coach are coming into their competition season. So they'll have the state and national championships coming up over the next couple months. It's very exciting. They've all been working very hard and I'm really excited to see how well they're going to do. So hopefully here in another, uh, Three weeks or so, I'll start giving you updates in some of the podcasts, let you know how well they went. I've been very busy on the work side as well. Seems like it's taken me kind of all over Queensland so far, as much as we can anyway. Um, and through a few conversations I've had with some friends of mine lately, I actually came up with a topic for today's podcast, which seems to happen quite regularly. Usually my podcasts, I, they're kind of those hot topics or they seem to be the the majority of the conversations I'm having with, with friends or peers and things like that. And what I'm going to talk about today is managing up. And it's been interesting. So having somewhat conversation with some friends of mine lately, there's a few of them that seem to be really struggling with their, their supervisor. And so the topic of managing up has come up. So I started looking into managing up. Of course, I, I've used that term for years and I've heard it for years. And so I wonder, you know, what, what exactly does it really mean? What are the strategies you should use, use to manage up? Are they same or are they the same as whenever you manage down, as in whenever you're managing your team? And they can be similar, but they're also quite different. And I actually found that managing up isn't necessarily, doesn't necessarily always have to do whenever you have a, an incompetent boss or a boss that you don't get along with. It actually, you should be managing up all the time. You know, your managers, or your, your supervisors, whatever, they hired you to be as effective as you can be. Like I know whenever I bring someone on board or have someone on the team or have someone that reports to me, one of my main roles is to help them to be as successful as possible at work. So I want them to be as effective and successful as they can be, you know, whatever that requires, whether it be developing them, whether it be removing barriers in their way, making sure that they're, you know, they're, they're working in an efficient work environment, making sure that they, you know, have high levels of job satisfaction, things like that. So that requires that person that's reporting to me to be as effective as they can be. And one of the part of the ways, one of the ways they can be as effective as they can be is to really understand what I expect out of them, really understand what the organization expects out of them, and then work to that and try to be the best you can be. So that's actually, in a sense, it's one way you manage up. But stepping back, I guess, and looking at, looking at managing up from that, you're working for someone who is either incompetent or who you don't get along with point of view. And I found two really good articles that I'd like to share with you. The first one is, uh, one of them actually had a stat in it about a, a survey that was done. And 65% of the survey respondents said they would prefer to have a new boss over a pay rise. That's very interesting. So people would rather forego any pay rises, any kind of monetary compensation, in order to get a new supervisor. So that says a lot. You know, people always say, or I've always said that people leave people, not organizations. No one wants to work for someone that that's bad. I guess no one wants to work with someone that there's conflict there with. No one wants to work for someone that's completely incompetent and not able to do their job. People want to, you know, they want to feel fulfilled when they come to work. They want to work for people that, um, 
stimulate them. They want to work for people that support them. They want to feel like, you know, there's a good professional relationship there between them and their supervisor. So I'll share with you some of these things from this article that was published in the Harvard Business Review in January of 2015, and it's called What Everyone Should Know About Managing Up. And in this article, it actually gives, I guess, different situations where you could potentially have to manage up. You should be managing up in all situations. But anyway, so some of these are um, quite interesting. So the first one is when you have a brand new boss, this is someone you've never met before. So don't necessarily have to be someone you've never met before. It could be a brand new boss who's new to the role. And if they've never worked in the same level role with that level of authority and that level of responsibility, there's going to be some growth that they're going to have to do. And you might have to help facilitate some of that growth. And I don't care who you are. There's always going to be growth whenever you move into a role, particularly of higher responsibility and higher authority. And that's I've always said that if you're going to wait until you know the next role up 100% before you move into it, you'll never move up because there's going to be a lot of things that are unknown within any new role. So, of course, you'll have to go into that role to really get a good feel for it. And it, sometimes it might take time to tell whether or not you're actually going to be capable of the role. So understanding that whenever you get a new supervisor, it could be, you know, someone who was a peer last week and this week they're your new supervisor. There's going to be growth for them. Help them out. Help them facilitate that growth. Help them grow into that new role. Another one they, they list is a manager you don't see face-to-face because they work in another location. We're seeing this more and more nowadays, not just because of COVID, but because of advances in technology. It makes it easier for us to employ people who aren't based in your office or aren't based in your same city, state, or even country. You know, We're able to employ people with the proper skills anywhere as long as they have connectivity. And that can create challenges. So for your manager who might not necessarily understand how you work and how you like to work, how you like to be motivated, uh, how you like to be supported. And so sometimes you, you really have to have that open dialogue with that manager or that leader to be able to explain to them so they can learn more about you. What makes you tick? How do you feel supported? You know, what do you really derive your satisfaction from in the workplace? Um, another one could be an insecure boss. This is interesting because an insecure boss could potentially feel threatened by you. So you actually need to come up with some strategies to be able to lessen that insecurity. One, so you don't come across threatening, so they're not threatened by you. But understanding this insecurity, try to understand where where it's coming from and, and really create some management tactics around that so it's not an issue. Another one could be an indecisive boss. I've I've worked for people before who could not make a decision about anything whatsoever, and it can be incredibly frustrating. I'm sure that some of you have as well. So how do you actually get around that indecisiveness? One of the ways you can do this is actually work closely with that person, help them actually come to a decision. Then once they come to a decision, you put it into action as quickly as possible before they backslide on it or change their mind or whatever, and you end up just going around and around again. I know that can be, again, incredibly frustrating in a work environment. I, I've been there before. It's it's very frustrating. But you learn from that as well, too. You see what the indecisive looks like, and you know how not to be that way. Uh, the next one is a manager who gives you conflicting messages. This can be even more frustrating. So come to work day to day, you don't quite understand what you're going to be working toward. One of the things that makes a good leader is having a vision, a strong, solid vision, and actually being able to, I guess, motivate the team and get the team moving toward that shared unified vision, creating that buy-in. But there's some people out there who who can't do that. 
you know, they give you conflicting messages. One day they want to do this. One day they want to do that. One day they, they think that part of your role is this. One day they think you're part of, part of your role is that. And you don't exactly know what to do, what the expectations are, and it can be very frustrating. Uh, the next one is a long-winded boss. Have you ever sat and talked with someone who just talked and talked and talked and either never got to the point or took forever to get to the point? This can be you know, where you just want to pull your hair out. It's like, just get to the point. Tell me what it is you want. Tell me what it is we're going to do. And sometimes if you have a boss like that, you're going to have to help them get to the point quickly without being disrespectful, without cutting them off and, or, or something like that. You're just going to have to help them get the story as quickly as possible. And another one is a hands-off boss. This is where sometimes as leaders, it's easy, particularly when you have someone who's high-performing, to really be more and more hands off and kind of let them go in their own way because they're high performing. They, you know, they don't need as much input from you or someone who, who's very experienced. They don't need as much management or oversight as someone who isn't as experienced. And, you know, it can be, and I know I've done this before. I had a high performer one time. They're amazing, did an amazing job. And so I actually gave more and more freedom, but it turned out I was too hands off. So we had to come to, a, like, I guess, a happy medium about what amount of support did they need for me, either day-to-day, weekly, monthly, whatever, and make sure they were still getting that. So it might not necessarily be that your your boss is, doesn't care about you. It could be that they feel like you're a high performer and they, they kind of forget about you, which isn't very unfortunate. It's, it's And it's, say it's easy to do, particularly with someone who's high performing. Also, the other side of things, too, if you have someone who's not performing, who is a potential disciplinary issue, your boss or supervisor could be very hands-off with them because they don't want to deal with it. They're com- they're too conflict adverse, which is not a good thing either. So that's the other extreme of that. So really, if you're a high performer and your boss isn't interacting with you as much as you think or supporting as much as you think, have that conversation with them. Let them know, hey, you're, you're ignoring me. I need your help. I still need your support. Even though I'm good at my job, I can be better. Let, let's get better together. Uh, the next one is a manager who isn't as smart as you. And I would say this might potentially be in the sense that you are much more smarter or much more experienced than your manager. Um, I actually hire people who who are smarter than me. I want people on my team that are better at things than I am or that I was whenever I was in their role. I want, you know, that, that whole saying, I, if I'm the leader of the team and I'm the smartest person in the team, I need to get a new leader or get a new team. I want the smartest team possible. So, I want to put people in direct roles that you know report directly to me that are incredibly switched on, that are you know very smart, very proactive, uh, want to continue to learn and grow and, and things like that. So, but a lot of times I'll hire people that are smarter than me because they're filling a gap in areas where I have trouble, you know, where, where I have a skills shortage or I might not know as much about or it might not be some area that I'm really good in. So I'll feel someone to fill that gap and understanding that that's the reason why they're there. You know, I'm, I'm not good at these certain things. That's why this person is really good in those things. That that goes a long way. So it might not necessarily be that they aren't as smart as you. It's just that they're not as skilled in this certain area as you are, but that's why you're there to really excel in that area. And by doing that, you're going to look good. You're going to increase your value to that manager when you understand that. But also, too, that manager is going to really 
support you and really value the fact that you're there and you're going to make them look really good too. And it's not about sucking up at all. It's just about getting the job done and being effective. And, and this new list, a boss that's actually a board of directors, I would say are probably on the board of the directors. You might see this sometimes in small businesses where the CEO was the founder of the company, but also the chair of the board. In larger boards, sometimes you will see the CEO sit on the board. And typically, the board is the hiring authority for the CEO. And they also do the CEO's performance review. And I think that can be a bit of a conflict of interest in that how do you actually sit on the panel that hires or fires you? The other thing you'll see sometimes, too, is they'll have an organizational representative on the board. And I find that interesting because particularly when you look at conflict of interest, because how do you actually put someone that reports to the CEO and then one day a month or a quarter, however often your board meets, they actually sit on the board and they're responsible for grading the CEO's performance, hiring or firing the CEO. If there's a conflict there, it'll definitely create a conflict of interest on the board. And a lot of times you'll actually see where, where if it is that case where they have a staff member on the board, that board member will be excluded from those things. And of course, the CEO is always excluded if they're part of the board too, just because of that conflict of interest. Another really good article that I found it actually appeared in Forbes titled Why Managing Up is a Skill Set You Need and it appeared in May uh, 2018 by a gentleman by the name of Roger Dean Duncan. And in there, it's a bit of a interview style article. And in there, he's actually doing an interview with a lady by the name of Mary Abijay, who wrote the book Managing Up, How to Move Up, Win at Work and Succeed with Any Type of Boss. And part of this article, the author actually asks Mary around, you know, what are some strategies when dealing with someone who's incompetent as your manager? And she gives some really good key advice. I won't go over one of them, but there's a couple of them that I do want to go over. The first one is de-escalate your anger. And it makes perfect sense, of course. Whenever you approach anything from a position of anger, again, anger is an emotion. Our emotions determine our, our, our thoughts and our thoughts determine our actions. So if we approach something from a source of anger, we're not going to be able to make proper decisions. We're going to be acting on emotion, probably, which isn't where we should act from. And it's probably going to make the situation worse. And she actually gives the example to put yourself in your boss's shoes. If you're put in the position, like they say, people are promoted based on technical skills and abilities, the Peter principle, and they get promoted to a point or level of incompetence. So let's say you get someone who's promoted into that role and they're incompetent in the role. And it could be because they're new in the role and they don't know 100% what to do right now. How would you still want to be treated if you were in that role? If you were in their shoes and you knew you were struggling, you know, a lot of that's about self-awareness. You knew you were struggling. You knew you weren't competent in the role, but you're trying. You're trying to get better. You're trying to learn. How would you want to be treated by your staff? You'd still want to be treated with respect, right? One, because your role commands a certain level of respect potentially, but also too, it's basic human decency, basic human respect. You'd still want to be treated in a proper manner. So she actually gives the advice to replace the anger with something like empathy, compassion, or even human. So you can show that empathy or compassion when you approach it from a, a position of understanding that, you know, okay, they're new in the role. They're not exactly 100% yet. It's going to take them a little while to learn. Let's be a part of that that process, that learning process, and let's help them get up and running as quickly as possible. Or it could even be humor. You know, I, I know one time I worked for someone who, I'm not quite sure why. At one point they would have been really good, but they were just so incompetent. Not in a bad way. I mean, they did. They just couldn't do their job. I, I think there was some mental issues going on there. But approached it from a, 
a sense of humor, not a sense of humor about the mental issues, not at all, but just some of the situations you find yourself in, some of the the, the decision making that happened, you just kind of kind of have to laugh at it and go, you know what? It's not worth getting angry about it. It's just, it is what it is. It is kind of funny. And you, you learn from it and you move on. A couple of things she, strategies she gives is diagnose the incompetence. And another one is compensate and cover. So I'm going to kind of combine these two a little bit. And this for me goes back to me actually hiring someone to cover down on an area where I'm not very strong in. And when you diagnose the incompetence, of course, you're saying, okay, they're not very strong in this area. They don't have experience in this area. And understanding that, okay, I can help fill that gap. And this is the compensating cover part because I am strong in this area. Or, you know, one of my peers here, they are too. We both report to them. So we're actually going to fill in this gap. We're going to compensate for that. And that's part of being on a team too. We, we build our team, one, to accomplish the goal or whatever you're trying to achieve. So we make sure we have those skills that are required to achieve that goal on the team. But also too, we make sure all of our skills are complementary. If we all had the same skills and abilities and we put ourselves on the team, we're only going to go one direction. And that might not actually be the direction we need to go in to achieve our goal. There might be a, a lot of other skills and abilities that are required to keep moving forward. And it, But if we're all the same, one, there's no diversity among the team. But two, we don't have everything that we need. So you know, make sure that we have those complementary skills on the team that are going to actually move us forward. And then, of course, that compensate bit too. When we do that, it'll, it'll compensate for other team members' deficiencies or inefficiencies or you know, their inabilities, I guess. One of the ones I actually found really good is to learn what you can. If your boss is technically incompetent, and I'm reading directly from this now, this, this statement here, if your boss is technically competent, take the time to learn about their technical ex- expertise. Use this opportunity to hone your technical skills. Again, at one point, they were probably amazed at what they were doing. Had skills far beyond anybody else. And that's why they're chosen to be promoted above anybody, everybody else. What can you learn from them? What can you learn from the situation? Same thing, too, if they're incompetent. You know, what can you learn from that situation? You, there's learnings in good situations and bad situations. You learn what good looks like. You learn what bad looks like. You learn what being in a good organization looks like. You learn what being in a bad organization looks like. And I actually had a conversation with someone I used to work with, and they're in an organization right now that things aren't going very well. There's very bad leadership there. There's some unethical things happening. And they were talking to someone who worked in that same environment recently who left. They've both been in, in, in this environment for you know a number of years, actually, and they left. And the person that left made the statement to them and said, you know, you don't know how bad it is until you leave and you realize what good looks like. You know, sometimes we don't recognize bad until we know what good looks like. Sometimes we don't recognize good until we know what bad looks like. You know, sometimes I've I've talked to people before where they think they have it bad at an organization where they work or they think that their supervisor is not a really good supervisor And then they go somewhere else and they find, wow, the grass is not greener on the other side. This is terrible over here. Why did I leave? And they regret it because then they actually, but that's okay. They learn. They know what bad looks like now. Sometimes bad does not mean you have someone in your face yelling at you or calling you names or putting you down or, you know, hazing you or, or really bullying. Bad sometimes can just be like, eh, you know, just the average, just every day. It's not good either. And sometimes you know, we need to know what those look like in order to learn what good is and what good feels like. And whenever you're in that good place, 
there's always going to be conflict in the workplace. I don't care where you work. I don't care what you do. At some point, there's going to be some form of conflict in the workplace and how it's managed and how you actually get through that that conflict, either as an individual, as a team, how your supervisor actually manage you through that conflict makes the difference between good and bad every time. Again, good and bad comes back to leadership. Anyway, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. Let me know what you think, and I hope you have a good one. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks.